Hey there, this is the Jesus Drinks Coffee podcast. I'm your host, Richie Yoshimura, and today I'm so excited to have my friend, Dr. Lauren Amaro, on. So Dr. Lauren Amaro has her PhD in communication. She's been teaching here at Pepperdine for 10 years. Fun fact, she was actually my undergrad professor, and now we're colleagues, which is so much fun. And she does not sound nearly as old as I made her sound, (laughs) but I've so admired uh, the way Lauren has led and modeled faith in the real-life context. She teaches communication, conflict, and a a whole load of other brilliant classes. So thanks so much for being here, Lauren. Thank you, Rachel. That's so kind. (laughs) Yeah, so good. So I wanted to open up, since you've been working with young adults for a good chunk of time now, and you teach specifically communication and conflict and mentor students, what are some of the most common conflicts that you hear students talking about in their personal lives? Yeah, you know, it's not that different from almost any other demographic. It's almost always going to be relational, family stuff. Um, I hear a lot of conflict with parents, of course, much of which has to do with students pushing their adulthood and saying, I want autonomy, and parents saying, I'm not ready for that yet, or or you're not ready for that yet. And so I hear a lot of conflict around that. I hear romantic conflict, mm. right? When do we know whether we need to just work on something with someone or if if that person maybe isn't the right fit, there's quite a bit around that. Roommate issues, right. of course, and some of that is just the functional daily life of it's your turn to do the dishes, it's your turn to buy the milk, it's you're not keeping the house clean enough to my standard and I don't want to have to flex my standard and you should flex to me. And just these normal dynamics of living with people living life next to people, mucking around in each other's junk, because the se- the second that we are intimate or close to someone, all of our sin, all of our imperfections, all of our insecurities start to come out right onto the surface. And when they do that, we just, we clash. And then those clashes, when they're worked out well, you know, are su- they should lead us to greater intimacy and closeness with another person. But of course they don't every time. So Yeah, that's so good. I know um, personally for me, I had so much aversion to conflict. And a lot of this is just like childhood upbringing, like the older and some more self-aware you get, the more you realize like, oh, so this has been true for me for a while. But I remember just avoiding bringing up my needs or frustrations just out of this fear of confrontation and what if they get mad at me because apparently the world ends if someone's upset with me (laughs) and all these things and so for me when I started to gain more communication skills around conflict and also so much of it for me was self-awareness because for me I wouldn't realize I was upset until months later Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, <laughs> I was a problematic friend <laughs> because I was like, hey, so you've been hurting me for six months and I wasn't aware of it. And all of a sudden I have all this built up pain and you had no opportunity to, you know, make it right, apologize because I didn't even know. So it sent me on this whole journey. Of like, wow, I need to learn how to not avoid conflict and also adjust some of this in myself. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was the opposite at that oh. age. So. That is hard for me to understand, although I've seen it before. Yeah. But I'm I'm the, you hurt me, and I recognize it immediately, and I will respond to it immediately <laughs> without giving myself a moment to think about whether right. my reaction is appropriate or not. I was, I was very reactive mm. as a young adult um, and not self-aware. I just ran through the world thinking that everyone should think the way that I did right. and that that was sort of the natural and normal way to think. 
Um, I had very low perspective taking skills. I was really lousy at sitting with someone and trying to see their perspective because I was just, so you were terrified of hurting people or, or stirring the pot. Mm -hmm. Right. And I felt like if the pot isn't stirred, are we even okay? Mm. Like if we're not dealing with stuff, what's hiding? What's there that we're not saying? (laughs) Are you going to leave me? Like, are you just going to reject me if I, if I don't get to the bottom of this thing? Like, can I control it? Can I fix it Mm. right now? Um, Which came from my stuff, right? right? Like all of my family background led me toward that. If I just do, if I handle this right now and the flip side, if I do everything perfectly, then none of this will have to happen, which, you know, that lasts for about three minutes of each day. (laughs) Yeah. And I really appreciate that perspective. I uh, am seeing a therapist for the first Mm. time since like grad school. And first of all, it was just so strange to be on the other side because I do a lot of counseling and mentoring. And so I just felt like, oh, this is just for me, about me. But one of the things that has come up is like, oh, I just have this subconscious narrative that if I can design the right system, I'll have the perfect outcome. Right. And that's not just in work. That's relationally. Yeah. And so in my mind, I'm like, oh, well, if we just do these steps, we will be able to avoid all mm-hmm. conflict and live mm-hmm. in perfect harmony for the rest of our relationship and recognizing that that is like woefully wrong <laughs> and th- just not a realistic standard. I think it's one of the key lies of our culture right now. And I don't think it's just you know, for you in, in a conflict setting, I think this is, I think, A, I think it's really gendered. I think this mm. is something that women in particular are sensitive to. Men also, but I, I see women being paralyzed by this. Um, and particularly, I mean, I research moms. So um, for those of you who, who don't know me, <laughs> Rachel knows <laughs> this already, but um, I study how moms interact on social media, particularly when they're new moms. And they're going to f- try to figure out, like, how am I supposed to do this? I have a newborn in my lap, and I don't know, you know, how to trim their fingernails. So women go online, and they go and look for, like, what's the best nail clipper? And what's the best technique? And... You know, my mom looks at that and she's like, just clip the fingernails. Like, it's not going to be easy, but figure it out. And I'm like, but there's a method, right? And and I've had to, in my journey with motherhood, but I would say this is true in multiple parts of my relationships, I feel like if I give the perfect input, if I do mm. everything right, then A plus B will equal ultimately heaven, yeah. That like if I raise my kids perfectly and I do mm. my part exactly right, then they will come out totally happy, never having suffered, never having experienced any of the pain that I've had to experience. They they just will they'll be okay. This is of course not only illogical, but it's it's a lie. Right. I can't possibly do that. And so any effort toward that end is is actually a massive waste of my time. And it is setting me up for shame Mm. and failure and like living in a space of inadequacy, which is exactly what the enemy wants Mm -hmm. to attack me in other spaces and to bring conflict. And if I walk around thinking I can do everything perfectly, then I'm setting myself up for conflict because I will Mm. fail, other people will fail, and I'm going to be upset about it. I just will. Yeah. 
Oof, that's, <laughs> that's, that's so true. And I think a lot of the young adults I, I talk to, especially those who are, are related to the Pepperdine context where we teach, it's like perfectionism yeah. in all things. And if we struggle with that, that seeps up into our relationships. Mm-hmm. It's not just a work or a school thing. Um, so question to you, how do you understand your faith and theology intersecting with um, conflict, how you approach conflict, um, or anything related to guess interpersonal relationships in the context of it sometimes doesn't go perfectly no I mean those are inseparable for me um I got into studying and now teaching conflict when I was a student um so an undergrad student I I had the opportunity to go study in Northern Ireland for a summer term and uh if you know anything about Northern Ireland it's been fraught with conflict so it was really looking at political conflict Mm. and reconciliation so what they were interested what the program was interested in doing was what does it look like to repair a community that's been divided by sectarian violence in this case Catholic and Protestant communities um, fighting each other for decades and And I went thinking, I'm going to study Northern Ireland, and I'm going to go to this really cool abroad program, and it's not going to change my life at all. (laughs) (laughs) And I think I got about five minutes into our first lecture, Mm. and I was weeping because my professor had opened with this idea that he said, to transform conflict, we have to be committed to the principles of civility mm. and that that is part of the way of Jesus. And the, the chief of those comes from the gospel, which is that people and the positions they hold can change, including you. And I think at that point in my life, I had enough conflict in my family and enough difficulty to have, have been really, I was really cynical And I was just kind of like, oh, my dad's never going to change. My brother's never going to change. These are just, I'm, this is just awful. And they're just, I I was putting them in this kind of villain role. And I was this victim and nothing was, nothing was flexible. Nothing could change. And so as we started talking about this program and started learning about conflict management and about, um, transformation we were seeped in a conversation this was I also went to a Christian college if that wasn't clear (laughs) we were seeped in a conversation about the very nature of the gospel is reconciliation not only are we reconciled to God but one of the radical things about the gospel is that Jews and Gentiles were reconciled to one another Mm -hmm. these two groups these two people groups who ethnically racially should never have interacted. You think about like the stories of the Good Samaritan as an example of this completely radical message of a Samaritan touching a Jew would have been shocking. So the gospel in its very nature, and John Piper makes this argument in his book, Bloodlines, he says, it is by nature an argument for racial reconciliation. Mm. And if Jews and Gentiles can reconcile, if Catholics and Protestants in Northern Ireland can reconcile, if... Um, Tutsis and Hutus in Rwanda can reconcile, um, then, you know, my dad and I can. Yeah. And, and not only can we, but I'm bound to it. I'm mm. required to do it. So I think that one of the questions theologically that drives me still is, well, what does that look like? Yeah. What is reconciliation? 
to what extent are we required to do that? I mean, reconciliation by definition is this full restoration of relationship. In this lifetime, I don't know that that's always possible. Um, And yet I need to be doing everything that I can to seek that. What about if I no longer have contact with someone? Or maybe even it's unsafe for me to be in a room with that person. What if the person that I'm supposed to forgive and reconcile with is someone who has physically harmed me or assaulted me? Or what if that person um, has irreparably damaged my life? That's really different than most of our conflicts. Most of the time it's just, you've hurt me, you've offended me, I'm annoyed, you've inconvenienced Mm -hmm. me. But there are conflicts that are lifelong damaging questions. And I think for me as a Christian, that's a hard one with reconciliation of knowing that like there's a now that, yeah, we have to be doing our work now. And then there's a not yet where I have to trust that the rest of this work, the fullness of this work happens on the other side of eternity, whether I see it or not. So those are things that drive me like in terms of understanding theology and and conflict we, I, I hope to have an eternal perspective. I hope mm. to be able to, um, even if I'm fighting with my husband, to be able to look at that and think, am I doing this in a way that shows that I actually believe the gospel, that wow. I believe that I can change, that yeah. my husband can change, that we're responsible to a higher calling than what we're feeling right mm-hmm. now? Um, and is this, you know, can I pull this forward into eternity yeah um not me that's not my job to pull it forward (laughs) right god will but like what does that work look like so it it asks for hope Mm. it asks for like continued pressing into hope and not giving up and being cynical because otherwise why would you ever resolve a conflict at all but we are naturally hopeful creatures i actually Mm. think so you know we deal with conflict because of that yeah yeah that's so good man i I think about, um, yeah, how conflict, well, relationships in general, but I think especially conflict is such good material for God to use us, for God to use informing us more into Christlikeness. Because one, the the part where I have done some amount of wrong, and I never think it's black and white. I used to really think that. I was like, you are objectively the one mm-hmm. wrong person mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, we could have both probably done something better yeah. in nearly every conflict I've been in. But, you know, if I'm taking accountability of some wrongdoing, that's me honestly looking at my fallibility mm-hmm. and saying like, okay, God, there are places in which I am not like Jesus and I need to take ownership and also recognize that my sin or my immaturity actually harms those I care about Mm -hmm. and being soft to the Lord in that. And then if you're on the other side of it, practicing forgiveness Mm -hmm. and that hard work, that just makes you so like Jesus. And I think it also tears down this, like, oh, I am the perfect person or they are the perfect person, Mm -hmm. but allowing God to use that space to form us. Like all things, it's really uncomfortable, but really beautiful, I think, if we engage in it actively. Yeah, I think it is beautiful. And I think most of us maybe are so scared of flexing these muscles for conflict management that we most of us have that we don't see breakthrough and we give up mm. on things faster yeah. than than would allow us to actually see the beauty of that change. I think we 
I think we're made for this. Well, actually, back up the horse. I think we're completely not made for conflict. Right. Like we're made to live in total unity with one another and with God. But one of the ways that God has made us in his image is adaptability and mm. flexibility and self-reflection, the ability to say, I'm probably not right all the time. And I think that's one of the critical things. Most of us know that. One of the things I've seen in my students recently is a really profound fear of that, though, mm. of not being right. Yeah. I mean, to some extent, we all have that. But what they're afraid of is the social repercussions of being wrong. And I think some of that comes from our mm. social media culture. And I right. think some of it's, you know, we don't want to be canceled. They don't want to say the wrong thing because they don't want to offend people. And there's a beautiful concern for others in that. And yet, if you're going to ever avoid saying anything, that concern for others ends up being a concern for yourself because you're, mm -hmm. you're terrified of the backlash against you. It's not really, at the end of the day, then, about hurting others. That's not mm -hmm. why you're avoiding the conflict. Yeah, wow. You're avoiding it because you're scared for you. And that, I think, as a believer, is contrary to what we're called to. Um, so if we're supposed to die to self, you know, in conflict, I think that means sometimes being willing to have a conversation. Sometimes it might mean speaking up in class when you disagree. That might be a form of that. And I think, at least for me, culturally growing up, the idea of dying to self meant like, don't talk about yourself. Right. Don't share your feelings. Don't advocate for your needs. Mm. That's not wow. what that means. Yeah. Dying to self means in this moment, when I can stand up for my rights, I'm not going to be a doormat, mm -hmm. but I'm going to prioritize this other person's rights and yeah. needs first, and then we can address mine. Yeah. Um, and there's there's a lot of wisdom that has to be involved in that, mm -hmm. and it's not always that's not always clear cut. Yeah, yeah. I think too what you're unpacking with um, like the the layers of what's really behind the fear, and I've seen in my own relationships, my own experience, a lot of times it's identity stuff mm. of like if I've made a mistake, that means I'm a terrible person. That's right. That's shame. Right. Exactly. And so it's like, oh, if I've said the wrong thing, that means I am this person, and we have these like. I think this really close tie between behavior and who we are, mm -hmm. and some of that is mm -hmm. precedented, right? Like the, mm -hmm. the fruits, the outward fruits right. reflect like inward motivation and heart posture and stuff. But like we're still people that aren't like Jesus, which means we're going to, quote, get it wrong and mm -hmm. behave out of alignment. And like one thing I love about Paul is just talking to someone about this was, you know, in Romans when he says like, I know what is right and I don't do it. And I <laughs> know what I shouldn't do when I do that. And I feel like that's me with interpersonal conflict sometimes, especially as I've grown in self-awareness and I teach some of this stuff now. I'm like having a conversation with my mom or a friend and I'm not in a great place emotionally. And then something happens and I'm like, oh man, I know I shouldn't have reacted. Like I know I should have gotten involved when I saw someone else's conflict. Like that was not my place. Mm -hmm. But here we are in the thick of it, doing the thing I know I'm not supposed to do. But recognizing like, okay, that's an area of my growth, not a reflection of who I am mm. necessarily. Like the core entity of my identity is not reflected in that. Because sometimes I've seen people, one, get like accusatory when that sort of identity fear gets triggered of 
no, I'm not wrong. I can't be wrong. I didn't do wrong. You did wrong, mm -hmm. you know, and getting very defensive and um, accusational. But then I also see a lot of, especially my female friends, um, kind of spiral when, when someone brings this thing to them of like, hey, I was actually really hurt when you said this. Then it becomes this whole, like, I'm so sorry. I'm the worst person ever. I'm such a bad friend. All <sighs> these things. Yeah. And so, like, neither of those things hold space for, like, honest reconciliation mm -hmm. if we're being quick to aggressively defend ourselves or accuse others mm -hmm. or then also kind of spiral because mm -hmm. that's also still about you if another person's bringing hurt to you it, it becomes this spirally thing that's just tough to engage in I think we all I, I I totally agree with what you're saying and I think especially the part about we understand that our behavior is not who we are the hard part in conflict is understanding that the other person's behavior is not oh, who they are. Really? So, <laughs> right? Like the one of my favorite stories to tell um, to my conflict classes to illustrate the idea that conflict is not about the issue that you're arguing about. It's about something else that's core to the person mm. um, is from my very first fight with my husband when we got married. And we've been married for 15 years now. So we've worked out most of this stuff. But... Um, we had been married for, we'd been back from our honeymoon for maybe a week. And I needed to go, we needed some groceries. And so I was like, hey, I have all these things today. I can't get to the grocery store. Here's a list. Can you go pick this up? And we were on a shoestring budget. It was the beginning of the Great Recession. I was in grad school. He was in a fire academy. We had like no money. So this grocery list that I'd put together was really carefully thought out according to the to our budget and nutrition and you know foods that we would really enjoy and like and so I had put tons of thought into this and um, just for a little bit of backstory my husband loves cereal like <laughs> to this day loves cereal at the end of the day the kids have gone to bed what does he do he goes and turns on the TV and gets himself a bowl of cereal it's like it's like a comfort food to him. I don't care about cereal. Like, I could not eat it for a very long time and be very happy. Um, but he, it's a staple for him. And when we were first married, I was low-key annoyed by that because cereal's <laughs> kind of expensive and yeah. it doesn't fill you up, right? right. So if you're going to have a bowl of cereal, you're going to need another meal in 10 minutes. And he, he, would, he would do that, actually. I'd be, like, cooking dinner for us. And dinner would be, I don't know, 20 minutes away. And he'd get himself a bowl of cereal. And I'm looking at him like, <laughs> what are you doing? And I somehow took that as disrespectful. But anyway, so I send him to the grocery store with this list. This was our first grocery interaction. Um, we have since learned that he does not shop for groceries ever. <laughs> it's not okay. But I send him to the store. And he comes back with, you know, some of what was actually on the list. Um, and I had put cereal on the list as a concession, thinking like one box of an inexpensive cereal. My sweet husband came back with 10 boxes of cereal. Wow. And he goes, well, it was 10 for 10. And I'm like, <laughs> so it could have been one for one. We had like this little tiny apartment. We had no room to store 10 boxes of cereal. And it was just ludicrous. Like, when do you ever need that? And, I mean, looking back on that now, I'm like, that's a sweet deal. Like, you should have gotten even more. But at the time, I was like, what? So I'm like, why did you do that? And I was annoyed. And I immediately just went after him. And he got immediately defensive. And we just started barking at each other. And 
basically, you know, I'm telling him, like, why would you buy cereal? That's stupid. That's not going to be – it's not going to fill you up. It's not a good use of our money. Blah, 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 blah. And he's like, it's just cereal. <laughs> and he's not wrong there. Right. But what the fight came down to was not cereal. Mm. I'm fighting because I feel – unseen, that the work that I'd put into this was unappreciated. And and because I felt right. Because mm. I have the superior knowledge of nutrition and I can blah, blah, blah. I know what I'm doing. So there was a contempt, like a, a perceived superiority over him that is a sin. Um, as was my demand in that moment to be appreciated and recognized. He was fighting for autonomy. Mm. You don't get to tell me what to do. I will do what I want. Uh, he'd been a bachelor for a while, and we were getting used to sharing life. And so he just did not like the idea of someone coming in and bossing him around and telling him what to do. He didn't want the own, he didn't want to own the fact that he had spent somewhat frivolously and didn't get some of the things we needed in favor of things that he wanted, which made the rest of our week challenging to you know figure out meals. Healthy meals, anyway. <laughs> Cereal would have been in abundance. <laughs> but I want vegetables. Like, yeah. this is important. So, you know, we were both in sin. But that sin was rooted in much deeper things, right? Like, I don't want to think that that behavior is who I am. Mm. But, like, my unhealed wounds are who I am. So yeah. that desire to be appreciated, to be mm. seen and respected comes from growing up in a family where that wasn't the case. Yeah. And his desire to be autonomous came from growing up in a family where he was very tightly controlled. So, of course, we're going to react to each other's unhealed wounds, like the spaces where we have resisted letting Jesus heal mm. um, what he wants to heal or that maybe he just hasn't gotten to yet. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> yeah. it takes time. Yeah. And those spaces, though, are still where a lot of our sin lives. And so we bring that into conflict with each other. Mm. And it just explodes. And I'm sitting there looking at my new husband and going, oh, my gosh, who did I even marry? What is this? Because I'm making that core assumption of your behavior and what you're saying to me right now is who you are. Wow. But not me. No, no. I'm just stressed. Mm. Like, what yeah. a load of garbage. Yeah. What a load of – it's both who we are and it is also circumstantial. Yeah. No, that's so good. I I love hearing you unpack that. Like what I what I frame it as when I talk to people I mentor is like on a scale of 1 to 10 because I'm a very like, systematic person. Scale of 1 to 10, normal day, serial incident, 2 or a 3. But because there's other stuff going on in our relationship, in my heart, I'm reacting at a 9 or 10. Mm -hmm. And, you know – a month from now when I've completely nearly forgotten about this, I will look back and, and laugh. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that's such a good indicator that, hey, there's some other stuff going on here yeah. when it's like w the surface conversation we're having is addressing the circumstance, but underneath there's so much more. Yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to um, helping people navigate conflict, what are some of the the not that it's a one two three and then you fix it obviously right but what are some of the core things that you think man I think people could really benefit from working on this mm -hmm. thinking about it differently um, whether it's roommate relationship issues or family conflict what are some of the core things that have been helpful to you or the stuff mm -hmm. that you obviously teach in your classes yeah there's a lot um I would say two of the 
of the core things that like if I could if I could say you know walk away with just these two behaviors, one is a phrase and one is a, is a practice. Um, the phrases help me understand mm-hmm. that if I'm really ticked off at you right now, if I can get enough of a pause button in myself to just take a deep breath and go, help me understand what you're trying to say right now. It puts it's a one down. It puts mm-hmm. me in a position of having to listen. It's gesturing to the other person to say, like, I want to understand this, but I'm frustrated, and I do need you to explain this differently. And it usually disarms people. That if I can say, help me understand, people will go, oh, that's not what I expected. Right. So that can be really powerful. And I do it with my kids. I do it with my, I do it with my husband. I do it with my students. Um, sometimes when I have tension with a student, ideally, I'd like to be able to pull them aside after class and be like, hey, What's going on? Mm-hmm. And I might be really annoyed. Yeah. But what's going on with them is is basically the same as help me understand. Why were you behaving this way? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I noticed this. Can you tell me more about it? Mm-hmm. It's curiosity. It's un, it's it is the rooted assumption that I don't know everything and that I do not have the whole picture. So there's something that I there's something more that I need here. Help me understand. Um, let me. Let me ask you about this. Being curious about another person's experience is core. And I think Jesus models that. When Jesus encountered people, he was, he knew everything about them, but often he would ask them questions yeah. and say, you know, who do you think I am? Um, and let them respond. And then he'd interact with them and he would learn more about where they were coming from. And would speak to them to in that place rather than where he thought they should be. Mm. Um, so that's that's one. Help me understand getting curious about about um, the other person in the conflict. And then the other one is really well. I would say it's simple, except it's really hard. And it's taking a break, mm-hmm. right? This is not rocket science, but the second that we feel our ourselves emotionally flooding, that is the moment that we have to say, oh. I'm saturated, I need to take a break. Or I'm flooded, I think it would be fine to say, I'm feeling really flooded right now, I need to take a break and calm down. Um, The important thing though with that, um, and I know I'm really sensitive to this, if someone were to be like, I need a break, I would feel that as a personal rejection. Mm. So what I've learned in our marriage is that if one of us needs a break, we have to say, let's come back to this in 20 minutes. Or I need to sleep tonight. Let's talk about this in the morning yeah. over breakfast. So specifying mm. when you're going to revisit is that way to show the person, I'm not rejecting you. I'm trying to do this well, and I know that I need to settle my body. And maybe they do too. Yeah. Um, my husband and I have um, like keywords that we use with our kids. So when one of us needs to tap out of parenting, maybe we're losing it. Yeah. <laughs> and we're not noticing that about ourselves, uh-huh. which is really easy to miss, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can start escalating and just not feeling it in your body if you're not very aware. Yeah. Which is like never. I'm never right. aware. <laughs> um, nor is my husband. So, but the other one's watching it. Mm. And so we have just a word that will kind of just say to the other person, uh, it's Redwood for us. Mm-hmm. So we'll just be like, Redwood! And the other one has to tap out. Mm. Like they have to go and take a break. Yeah. And then the other one will take over mm. with the kid, whatever the issue is. Um, 
It's not perfect. <laughs> uh, we've also had to set some ground rules. Um, mm. And I would, I would generally recommend this as kind of part of a break concept to be able to set yourself up for success. So, like, we don't talk about difficult issues past, say, 8 or 9 at night. Mm. It's not going to go well. We're right. tired. Yeah. We're out of resources for the day. There's probably not enough time to resolve that conversation. But that doesn't mean we're not going to talk about it. Um, my husband needs a warning if I need to have a serious conversation with him. So he can't come home from the end of the day to me being like, okay, so now I need to talk to you about this, right. this, and this. <laughs> so I'll text him um, during the day and say, hey, just so you know, I'd really like to talk about this tonight. And that gives him an opportunity to, A, prepare his thoughts because mm-hmm. not everyone thinks as fast on their feet as I do. Um, it gives him a chance to think about what I might need, mm-hmm. about what's coming, to reflect on his behavior. And it also um, gives him an opportunity to say, tonight's not a good night for me. Uh, can we talk about that tomorrow? Yeah. Um, and that, those little things have have made a big difference. We're not always good about it. We're, it's not 100% every time, but we try. Mm-hmm. Some conflicts just come up spontaneously. You know, you're, like last night I was in a really bad mood. Um, we Our dog was attacked by another dog a couple oh, weeks goodness. ago. I know it was really sad. So she had to get emergency surgery. Wow. And what that's meant is that the last two weeks she's been in her crate with the cone of shame mm. um, on drugs. Because we have this – she's a very high-energy dog. And so you can't have a high-energy – she's really young, like puppy mm-hmm. in a crate nonstop right. for two weeks without – medication. Right. So she was supposed to get her stitches out yesterday and Carlos calls me from the vet's office saying she needs five more days in the crate. Oh. And I was like, oh my gosh. Because it's just annoying. Yeah. And so I came home and I was already tired. I was hungry. Like hadn't really taken care of my body enough. And I walk in the door and Mondays are supposed to be his night for dinner. And he had not started dinner. And I was like, Oh, my gosh. And I just, like, (laughs) lost it. And then the dog comes rushing to see me because she's a dog and she's my dog. Like, she loves me more than everyone. (laughs) So she comes rushing to see me. And that cone, she still, after two weeks, has no concept of it Mm. in space. So she, like, rams my legs with the cone. I've got bruises now on my thighs. She just rams it. And I just lost my (laughs) ever-loving mind. And everyone in the house is looking at me like, oh, we will slowly back away now. (laughs) Mom's not okay. She needs some space. And I was just like, "Ah, don't talk to me. Get the dog outside. Someone make a burrito. Like, I don't care. (laughs) Feed yourself. Get the cereal. Like, I don't care. I was so mad. But thankfully, we've created a culture in our house now where everyone understands mom needs some space Mm -hmm. and needs to calm down. Just as much as I would do that for my husband or for the kids, that there's a need here, and it's hidden behind the behavior. And if we just get that Mm. pause button and say, help me understand, and sometimes help me understand isn't going to be verbal. It's going to be, I'm going to sit back and watch and see what you're feeling right now, and I'm going to think for a second. And that's a break, right? Like those two things together Mm -hmm. can really be a powerful family culture. And so everyone gave me a little bit of space. I got food. My body settled down. <laughs> yes, I am a hangry person. Um, and and then I was able to enjoy the rest of the night with the family, yeah. including the dog, um, who I'm still actually secretly a little bit mad at. <laughs> it's not her You have fault. bruises. <laughs> I have bruises. Yeah. This cone. It's never going to end. Yeah. <sighs> it will end. Yeah, it will end. And that, that's so good and so helpful. I love, too, what you're saying about, like, seeing beyond someone's behavior, especially if it's, like, an emotional outburst, which mm-hmm. we're all prone to, mm-hmm. seeing that, like, b- 
you know, ho hopefully we can regulate our emotions so it's not like very, you know, dangerous or unhealthy when those emotional outbursts come. But being able to see like beyond the surface of what's going on to see like, oh, there's, there's a need that's there and they're not ready to put into nice proper words be like hello i am frustrated because blah blah blah. i need you to mm -hmm. blah 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 sometimes it's just like ah and then having the like grace and space to like hold that for someone because i hope that someone would do that for me mm -hmm. and then when they're ready like we can process whatever is yeah. underneath that that's so helpful you know outbursts of anger though those are tricky for me because the bible calls them a sin mm. and yet there's also something very primal about it. There's something very, <laughs> like, I didn't feel like I was sinning when I came in and just was like, bah, at everyone. I just was, uh, like, past my human yeah. capacity. I, I was at my limit. And and that that's a hard one for me, right? Mm. Because we live in a very therapeutic, psychologically oriented culture that right. understands that there's a physiology behind that. And yet... The Bible calls us to this radical obedience mm. where we lay down every need and every desire at the feet of Jesus and say, yeah, I am at my human limits, but you're not. Yeah. So I need you to meet me with self-control and patience right mm. now. I didn't do that. <laughs> um, Upon reflection. <laughs> well, and most of us don't. I, like, yeah. like you were saying before, like we're not always self-aware enough. Right. And But that's a hard one for me. Outburst yeah. of anger. Uh, my kids struggle with it. Everyone struggles right, with it yeah. in different ways. But some of us are like legitimately more biologically prone to mm -hmm. it. What does that mean? Is that always a sin? Yeah. Is it? Is it a moment where we just go like, oh, yeah. she just needs food. Right. <laughs> it's not really a sin. It's yeah. just she needs food. I, yeah. mm, eh, I don't want to write it off. Right. But I'm saying I think there's there's some gray there. And it's yeah. one that I really wrestle with. Like, yeah. was I in the wrong last night right. or was I just human? Yeah. Was that sin or was it just the flesh? Is that the right. same thing? Like, how do we how do we think about that? Yeah. What that, do you think? I think you were sitting up a storm, Lauren. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think um, that's such a good uh, point. And I, I am, am such a black and white thinker, which can be my Achilles heel for sure. Mm -hmm. But what I am, am trying to, my more mature self, mm -hmm. would do what all my, all my favorite professors did in grad school, and they'd ask me a question to my question, which is the worst and also brilliant. But essentially, <laughs> instead of it being like, was that a sin or not a sin? Thinking about like, w was that an, an action or you know an uh, emotional expression that produced things mm -hmm. of love mm -hmm. and of glory mm -hmm. like was god's glory met in the way that i responded yeah. to that feeling or that hunger yeah most of the time the answer is no, no. you know and yeah. like in, in a completely different context that's how i talked a lot of, to a lot of young adults about like sexual ethic and boundaries mm -hmm. so often it's like is it a sin or not a sin what behaviors <laughs> are far not too far i know yeah. and so for me i'm like okay yeah we can play that game and like there are explicit things in scripture than non-explicit things in scripture. But instead of playing that black mm -hmm. and white game, thinking about like, okay, was God glorified in this mm -hmm. space where people loved and blessed mm -hmm. out of a place of abundance from that? Because I think like, it, like Jesus wasn't the son of God just because, oh, he didn't do the bad things that we call sin. Mm -hmm. He also like ushered in such culture and fruit from heaven mm -hmm. And it's easier said than done. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that was sin or not sin, but I, I, I 
try to be soft to the Lord of like, oh, so one question that I was in a scenario where I, you know, was talking to a friend about potentially living together. This was a few years ago. And it was one of those scenarios in which it was sort of like no one was wrong. Like she had some um, financial question marks at, at that point in her life. She was in between jobs and she wasn't fully sure where she wanted to be. And I was like, I have a job in this area. I know I want to keep living in this house. So it was sort of like I needed an answer of whether or not she could live with me mm. and she wasn't ready to give it. Mm -hmm. And so it was just this point of like no one's right and no one's wrong. Um, but both of us felt a bit frustrated and hurt. And it was a, it was weird for me because I was like, well, like I get mm -hmm. <laughs> why you did what you did and didn't do. And she could understand my perspective. And so I was like, I don't really know how to do the like formulaic like apology forgiveness mm -hmm. reconciliation and so i swear this was the spirit because i'm not this good but i felt the the spirit bring up this question of how could i have loved you better mm -hmm. yeah and that was so beautiful because it didn't have to be this black or white like i'm wrong or you're right and i need to like humble myself because i'm like the the villain in this scenario but it's you know this situation was difficult and i think i could have done things better and some of it's going to be specific to that person of based on her communication styles, based on her um, continually healing wounds and stuff. Like, how could I have loved you better? And that also just leveled the playing field where it's like the goal is to love each other better. Yeah. Like that's, I hope, yes. how I approach conflict management in my relationships is like the goal is to love you better and be loved better by you. Mm -hmm. So like we're on the same side of this, like the circumstance, the conflict, whatever we're talking about, like that's on one side of the mm -hmm. table. But me and you, like, let's be on the same team. It's so hard to do that sometimes, but it's hard. yeah. One of the common advice uh, for marriages, or I would say romantic relationships, but it's really for anything, is um, for each person in the couple to sit down um, and say, how could I have loved you better this week? Or how can I love you well this week? Mm. You know, as we look ahead at the week, yeah. what's coming up? What kind of stresses do you have? Um, so that I can be proactive about that. And I think that's something that helps us prevent conflict, but it also helps us understand it differently. And I do think it's important to point out, you know, not all conflict is sin. Right? Yeah. Like you're saying, there's just going to be moments where because we're human and on different, in, living different lives, we will sort of just miss each other, you know, two ships right. in the night kind of thing. And that's normal. That's just part of living in the fall, it does not follow that it's necessarily sin. Mm. But could there have been, were there ways that you could have done it differently? I think we have to always be open to that question. And I think asking like, how could I have loved you better in this is a really great way to look at it. Um, or an, and being willing to apologize even just for the little things. Mm. So, you know, I have to go to my kids every time I have an angry outburst and go to them and say, I didn't handle that well. I lost my temper again and I didn't have the self-control that I needed. And I'm sorry. I know that it mm -hmm. affected you. You know, this is something that I'm working on and Jesus is working on with me. And I need you to be patient while that's happening. It's going to take some time. And they have to learn that, that that's happening for me, even as it's happening yeah. for them. And even if like, Maybe that angry outburst wasn't even about them. Maybe, you know, I saw a stupid thing on the internet the other day that was like, the person you really are is the person, is the voice that you use when you have to say um, representative on a voice call, right? Like you get a voice <laughs> system, like you're calling CVS or something uh -huh. and you're just trying to get through to the pharmacist and, and you just, they keep cycling you back to the voice menu <laughs> and you're like, speak to a representative. 
Speak to your representative. Speak to your, speak to a representative. <laughs> and that's who you really are, right? <laughs> so like I might have an angry outburst that's not at all directed toward my children, mm. but the fact that they observed mm. that is still in some respects sinning against them. Yeah. And that's even like is it – I yelled at a voice machine. Like it's not mm. even a human being, but my – inability to, to control my impatience, my inability to be gracious, um, my entitlement to demand what I want when I want it. Um, those are things and they're watching it mm. and your roommates are watching it and your parents are watching it and like your professors and your classmates are watching it. And when we don't live in faith, anything that's not of faith is sin and and that's I mean it's hard to reckon mm-hmm. with we, we are also physical beings and I don't believe that we have 100% control over what we do with our bodies so um, I recently was diagnosed with ADHD mm. um, about a year and a half uh, yeah year ago and one of the things that I've learned from that is that the brain chemistry for someone with ADHD is quite different than someone else and specifically it works in what we might call like deserts and floods so If I'm interested in something, my brain absolutely floods with dopamine. Out of control, I can't think about anything else. I'm a little bit obsessive, and then I'm hyperproductive. I get crazy things done. If I don't care about something, there is a desert in my brain. I can't – the neurotransmitters that are pretty steadily flowing for other people – Um, aren't released for me. So I have to put in Herculean effort to get through that one task. For me, I hate to say it if you're my student, it's grading papers. (laughs) Like I hate it. It's so hard for me. But like getting in front of class, talking with you all, Mm -hmm. like doing this, this is like, ooh, abundance. My brain is so excited. Um, So what that means is emotional regulation is difficult because Mm -hmm. of these floods and deserts. That if I'm going to feel a feeling, I'm going to feel it like at an 11. (laughs) And otherwise, I'm barely even registering anything. So hanger, for example, Mm. A, it's my responsibility to nourish my body so that it's reasonably steady, especially because I have this condition. Am I going to be more prone toward losing it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yet... That's not going to let me off the hook. And we're in an interesting moment in culture where we're like, oh, well, you it's just harder for you. So, you know, I have to give you some grace. And there's good in that. And yet, yeah, it's harder for me. But that's just my journey. Like, that's what I'm going to have to overcome with Jesus. And it's going to look different for you. But, like, my thing is going to be outbursts of anger. It is going to be impatience. It is going to be... Um, maybe not having perspective on other people's lives, it's still going to be sin, even if my brain is doing Mm. it and it's not even in my control sometimes. I'm still responsible for it because there's an outcome and there's, there was a process that led me to get there that I had some management over. So yeah, maybe I've flooded and I now have a ton of difficulty in controlling what I'm doing literally because of my brain chemistry. I'm still accountable. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard. That's so hard. And I think that's like, I, I've been thinking about it the last week or two because this is 
has been happening where it feels like Jesus is just sticking his thumb in it of like the the place where it's like really hard of like no I'm at my wits end and he's like exactly because mm-hmm. that's how mm-hmm. I'm going to transform you it's yeah. not like when it's like God grows the stuff that's already flourishing it's mm-hmm. like yay this is my favorite and my garden is blossoming <laughs> and he's like all right now let's uproot that thing that's like run down to the court you're like but it hurts and it's uncomfortable but that's also exactly where the Lord wants to do that work. Well, I think that's probably all we have time for. But thank you so much, Lauren, for having this conversation, sharing openly and being yourself. It's really blessing me and I'm sure a lot of other listeners. Thank you, Rachel. It's a delight to be with you. All right. Well, that's been the Jesus Drinks Coffee podcast. Let's chat soon. <laughs>